Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. It's a delight to be here today with Lama Rod Owens, who is a Buddhist minister, author, activist, yoga instructor, and authorized Lama, or Buddhist teacher, in the Kagyu School of Tibetan Buddhism, and is considered one of the leaders of his generation of Buddhist teachers. He holds a Master of Divinity degree in Buddhist studies from Harvard Divinity School and is a co-author of Radical Dharma, Talking Race, Love, and Liberation. His latest book, Love and Rage, Liberation Through Anger, uh, was released in... Um, in the June June of uh, this year, 2020. Thank you so much for taking this time to talk. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm actually, my my friend and colleague, Dr. Max Clow, a leadership scholar, and I have been reading this together every week uh, for 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 many months now. We've been getting a tremendous amount from it, and we're excited to expose this to others. Tell us t- tell us a little bit about your journey that led you to writing this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it really started in 2016, right after the elections, where a lot of folks were very upset. And as I worked with different communities and individuals, you know, people would ask me over and over and over again what to do with the anger, you know, um, and how we were going to get through four years (laughs) of what we're facing. And um, so I, over, you know, over maybe a year or so after that, I just really felt like I was being called to write something about anger, but I didn't want to write a a self-help book or anything like that. Those books are out there. I wanted to write something really personal. um, And I wanted to argue that anger was really important, but we needed to have a different relationship with our anger. And and that's really where, how the book started. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So, you know, there is still, even with the recent news developments, still a tremendous amount of anger out there right now, whether it's about children in cages or white supremacy or various types of corruption and economic injustice, racial injustice. How, how, how do we hold all this right now? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we have to understand that as much as we are angry, we're just as much hurt as well. We're, we're, we're moving through what I call in the book, heartbrokenness, right? So for me, that's an umbrella term, which means that like, there's a lot of discomfort, a lot of trauma, a lot of aching, a lot of sorrow, despair, depression that's happening beneath the surface. And I think that we have to shift towards caring much more deeply about ourselves and our communities. You know, we have to move into a culture of care, you know, really honest, direct care. We have to ask really hard questions about that care, you know, and how to do that for ourselves and for others. You know, in, in, in the moment, you know, there are moments of rage that emerge for people. What do you think is the first spiritual step one should do in that moment when they know they need to contain it, but it's really just overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, you know, from this kind of, uh, 
kind of Buddhist perspective, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do is notice what's happening, what's arising in our minds. And a lot of us don't know, like we, something really strong like rage triggers and then all of a sudden, like we, we start reacting, you know? And so in the moment, like for me, I have to say, okay, I am experiencing anger, rage, like this is happening. And that's going to help me to, to, in a way, not react to it as much, you know? And when I'm not reacting, then I can actually move into a space of experiencing mm. the rage. And what I realized in my practice early on was that I had really never experienced my anger when I first started meditating. And when I had an opportunity to, to do so, my relationship to anger completely transformed. And I think this is what we should be really engaging in is trying to actually experience the anger. And it's going to give us a whole different perspective around our anger. And it's going to give us a lot more space to really hold the space for anger and rage when it comes up in the moment. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, sometimes in movements, we can feel the solidarity with others, but other times we can feel so isolated um, and alone in that time. And I loved your bit about ancestors in there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've been thinking a lot about that, about how to connect with the ancestors mm-hmm. who don't do di- who don't do violence to us, yes. and you know, from my own Jewish tradition, there's mm-hmm. this rabbinic source around Moses is, a, is approaching Pharaoh, and as he's approaching, everyone's walking with him in solidarity, and as he gets closer, the people fall away. Yeah. And by the end, he's standing there all alone in front of the most powerful guy in the world, mm-hmm. and um, I think about that moment of people who are completely isolated in their rage or in their pain, yes. and how do we not feel alone in those moments? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and what I think of that moment is really important for us to reflect on that even though it feels like we're alone, we're not alone. That I am experiencing something that countless beings are experiencing at the same time, right? You know, and that's gonna cut through that sense of of this connection and isolation. And it's gonna actually put me into like, I don't know, this this empathic relationship with others. You know, my mind opens and say, I am a part of a community of beings who are at the same time experiencing what I'm experiencing right now. Right. How do we, how do we in the activist space mm-hmm. move from a transactional allyship to like an elevated spiritual consciousness of empathy? Here's the, let's say, let's take an example, not to point fingers at any populations. Okay. There's, there's, a, there's a Mexican activist, there's a black activist, and they're basically transactional in this moment. They're saying, hey, you stand up for our immigrant community, you stand right. up against for Black Lives Matter, and right. we're going to kind of be allies in a way that we show up for each other. Yeah. But how do we move that from a kind of a distrustful space to one of, of, a, of a deeper, a soulful solidarity? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I think that takes a deeper kind of work where we're, we're understanding that I am the other. Right. And that's and we see that work in many spiritual and religious traditions. You know, Um, it's it's I have to understand that, like. I that what I am going through is just a reflection of what the other is going through. Right. And so my solidarity shouldn't be solidarity shouldn't be transactional, but it just should be what we do. Like we should just be together, you know, supporting one another because we're reflections of one another. You know, but it, you know, we understand that like within marginalized communities, you know, we, there's a sense of not having enough, right? So we're always negotiating 
trying to broker the resources we need in order to get the basic stuff that we need to be well and to survive. And we have to move out of that mentality as well, you know, and begin to link and to collaborate across difference. Mm, I love that. You know, there's the, there's the this worldly sense mm -hmm. of the breaking down the boundaries of self and other that you were talking about. Yeah. I wonder also if a theology of reincarnation can help us get there. That like yeah. in my past lives and future lives, I yeah. am all of those identities that are yeah. the other, right? Yeah. So on a soulful level, I don't know if you if you believe in reincarnation or not. Yeah, uh -huh. I do. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah. on a soulful level, like I, I really have been or will be, I am attached to all those various. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. You know, I think that, well, in my belief system, right, I think that we've been everything. You know, we've been everyone. And we have the saying in Buddhism that every being has at one point in a past life been my mother. Mm. You know, um, and so therefore, that helps me to understand that, like, yes, I have been close to all these beings. I have cared for everyone that I could possibly interact with in this life. And that helps me to draw much more close or much more into a deeper relationship with every, everyone, including strangers, yeah. including people that I don't like. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So, you know, um, I don't know how much you think about child development, but uh, we're foster parents. And so kids come, come in our house at the moment, we have two very young kids, ages two and three, and they can't articulate their anger their abandonment, their abuse, their neglect that they've experienced. We, we know about it, we can, we can talk about it. But I wonder, how do you share, how do you help to hold, how, how, do you help some, how do you help to hold the anger that someone else feels, especially developmentally, when they themselves are not able to articulate it yet? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you know, it really begins about holding our own anger yeah. too. If, so if I can't hold my frustration, then I won't be able to hold the frustration or the anger of others around me. So, you know, I, I, you know, of course, many of my friends have young kids and I'm able to watch and witness how they're working with their children on the spot in moments of anger. And I, I keep seeing that like their, the kindness and space they hold for their kids really begins with themselves, you know? And when they don't have the kindness and space for themselves, then it's really hard to share that mm. with their kids, you know? And so, but if we're talking about just other adults, right? Again, for me, it's like, and this is for kids as well and for adults, I have to understand that like beneath that anger, frustration is hurt. You know, like I, I want to notice and reflect on the hurt that people are trying to be in a relationship with and maybe don't know how to have a really healthy relationship with. And so they're reacting and responding to this energy of anger in a way that may be harmful for themselves and for us. But that doesn't mean that I don't get to set boundaries. Ah, yeah. That's yeah, that's really helpful. So, you know, one of the things I, I'm thinking a lot about these days is the relationship between our particularism and our universalism. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, just to take a few of the identities that you have publicly and that you write about um, as, as, a, as a black person, as a man, as a Buddhist, <laughs> as, as a gay man, how 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 did, does that particularity uh, inform your 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 universalism? Yeah. Well, it well first of all, it helps me to understand the complexity. Yeah. You know that I, as well as all beings, are complex beings. You know, and it takes work to be in relationships to that complexity, and I understand that 
when I try to oversimplify myself, I end up creating more harm mm. for myself. Mm. You know, and I think that many people really want to be simple and really want to be basic because they think it's easier, you know, but that, that that's not the truth, particularly in terms of the um, of the um, of the relative world, right? That's not, to, for me, the truth of the relative world is this beautiful complexity that I can just hold space for. And that holding space actually begins to open the door into the ultimate for me. I love that. I love that. That's really powerful. Um, yeah, because it seems like there are some articulations of universalism that people talk about, which diminishes or pushes down the difference. Right. And I feel like you're going the opposite direction, which is something I, I really appreciate. Um, so, you know, I, I think I think um, white folks in America, particularly white men, um, we haven't really done our work to uh, the, the work of understanding whiteness and understanding the history associated with all that. And those who have begun start to hit really uh, understandably uh, mm -hmm. with with the complicity. Um, negative emotions, shame and guilt. And, and I wonder on that side of it, um, if you have you know, any wisdom to share on kind of what to do with some of those negative emotions that emerge in doing that, 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 that hard justice work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would just say that we have to allow the discomfort to be there, that the discomfort isn't a sign that there's something wrong, right? right? But that discomfort actually begins to tie us into the lived realities of folks who've actually have been the most marginalized yeah. within the world, right? And we have to stay with that discomfort because that's, again, that's the door into which we begin to deeply empathize with others around us, mm. you know? And that takes effort, right? You know, and I think something like guilt can come up and can feel really like a barrier, yeah. you know? It, it can be really immobilizing, you know? But again, you have to stay with the guilt even. You have to feel the guilt. You can't intellectualize the guilt, but you have to feel the guilt in the body, feel the guilt in the mind, right? And you have to like hold space for it. And you also have to be gentle with yourself. And then you get that being with the guilt actually begins to subtly, or even like more than subtly disrupt the ways in which we, you know, may try to go to sleep or numb ourselves again. So the, the guilt, staying with the guilt wakes us up the reality of our position and the reality of the positionality of folks who are less privileged and have less power. Yeah, yeah. So maybe just one or two more questions. I want to mm -hmm. honor your time. Um, you know, it seems to me on this point that one of the most cherished, uh, it's hard to call it a value, but let's call it a value for a minute. One of the most cherished values in America is actually comfort. Yeah. I'm not going to call it an idolatry, but mm -hmm. there is an obsession with comfort. And part of what you're talking about here is living in the struggle, living in the space of discomfort. Mm -hmm. And I wonder when it's so pervasive, this, mm -hmm. this, this desire for room service, this desire for more, we don't have to argue for an ascetic ideal, mm -hmm. but how do we, how do we, um, how do you think we counter this uh, pervasive notion that a good life is a comfortable life? Yeah. Well, you know, I think discomfort doesn't necessarily always mean more suffering. You know, and I think we have to kind of break that up a little bit. It's not a direct equation, you know, discomfort equals suffering, you know, so we have to challenge that. And secondly, you know, you know, I think that 
we can be uncomfortable, but we can also be cared for in that discomfort. I think that's what people are really afraid of. They think if they're uncomfortable, they won't get the care, the support that they need, yeah. right? You know, I think there's a lot of suffering when we're both uncomfortable and uncared for, yeah. you know? Um, and so we have to, in my practice, um, I, I have this practice of choosing discomfort, right? And which is a very subtle practice, you know? And so I look at my situation, I say, okay, I am definitely experiencing discomfort. So instead of trying to push it away or struggling with it, I want to enter into this dynamic space where I choose it, I consent to it. And that actually helps to cut through a lot of suffering for me. And I'm able to move into the discomfort and to actually experience what that discomfort is, right? Because for me, experiencing something is actually the key to this experience of liberation. Yeah from the discomfort. It doesn't mean the discomfort disappears. It means that I have the space to hold it and I can experience other things along with that discomfort as well. So I can be uncomfortable and happy at the same time. You know, multiple things can happen at once if I have the spaciousness to experience them. Yes, that's so, that's so well said. Yeah, to, and to be able to sit with those paradoxes and, and the, the fullness of being in those moments. Yeah. So one last question for you, and it's a big one. Um, okay. But, you know, we, we talk about the work today for each of us, for us collectively. But, you know, your book is not just called Love and Rage, The Path Through Anger, but The Path of Liberation. And so my mm -hmm. question is, like, to dream for a moment of, okay. of a type of utopia, what does a liberated world look like to you? And, and I ask this because I think many people who are very afraid of justice work and spiritual justice work, they're like, wait a minute, where are we headed? Where are we trying to go? Uh, is this socialism? Is this communism? What is this world we're, we're trying to get to? So, and, and let me break it up in two bits, the inner life and the yeah. outer life, to the extent that you embrace such a dichotomy. Of course, it's interconnected. Yeah. But yeah. what is the liberation that would be the, the, the dream we're working towards in the inner life? And what's the, what's the liberation in the physical world that you would talk about? Well, you know, I would basically say what I'm dreaming about is space. Like, I want us to have space to be ourselves, you know? And I want the world to be full of a spaciousness. And it can't be spacious if there are systems of power and, and abuse and discrimination happening, systems like racism and, and, and you know, homophobia and, and so forth. These are systems that are about being rigid and shut down and controlling. And I wanna see a world where there's a fluidity happening that fluidity is happening within spaciousness. So we get to choose to be who we are. We're not living in a world where, we, where we're being told and, 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 and conditioned into certain ways of being, you know? And so that means that that's a world where everyone gets what they need, you know? And we have to fight against this idea that like, we have to be good enough, you know, to get what we need. Everyone deserves the things that they need to be well, you know? And, and we have to really dig out that kind of individualism, you know, that we've been informed by that says that like you, you, you know, you should only get what you work for. Well, in, in, in the perspective of Buddhism, because you're human, you deserve the basic resources of love, compassion. You deserve the basic resources to be well and happy, period, no matter who you are no matter how much you work or choose not to work, you just deserve it. Yeah, 
I love that. I love that because this product of white supremacy that tells us you're only worth what you produce for this system where others gain um, and you don't deserve more than what you ultimately produce. And of course you get less than what you produce. Yeah. And then I love what you said about this move to use my words, not yours, to move from equality to equity, that sense of yeah. that people get what they need yeah. as opposed to just get this dish out the same stuff. Exactly. Um, exactly. And this opposite of spaciousness, of confinement, whether it's mass incarceration, yeah. it's cages, it's mental illness, it's yeah. that to, a, to, to this spaciousness of experience and, and in the justice realm. Yeah. So I, I I love that articulation. I'm uh, you know friends um, if if like me you're in, incredibly inspired by the thought and leadership of Lama Rod Owens. I hope if you haven't yet to pick up this book, create a study group around it, uh, create a study partner like I have with Love and Rage: The Path of Liberation Through Anger, published by North Atlantic Books, just this uh, this year of 2020. Lama Rod Owens, thank you so much for this time and uh, blessings in your continued work. Thank you so much.